Morning. Can everyone hear me? Well, it is good to uh, be here today. Um, I'm thankful to uh, Pastor Mark. Uh, thank you first, I guess, for Al for the uh, wonderful introduction. Uh, like, I, like he said, I'm, uh, we go to Hill, church in Hillsview uh, up in Piedmont. And Pastor Mark asked me a couple weeks ago if I would uh, come and uh, preach today, that he was going to be out of town. And uh, obviously, I jumped at, jumped at that opportunity. So uh, here I am today. And I, I thank you for uh, being here. It was affirming for me to be asked to come preach. And I've just kind of been exploring my call to, uh, to be a pastor. So we'll uh, kind of see where the Lord leads me. But for today, um, you know, after Park, Pastor Mark asked me to come preach, uh, I, I, he asked if I would prepare my heart to study, uh, to pray, to study some more, to pray some more, and craft a sermon to share with you today. Uh, as the Apostle Paul noted in 2 Timothy 4.2, a preacher is to preach the word. So that's what I'm going to try and do today. Uh, today we're going to hear and learn from the Apostle Paul uh, three core attributes or characteristics that we as Christians sometimes forget to fully follow in our walk with Christ. Or, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, these attributes may be new to you, but are at the core of your personal relationship with Christ. So I'm going to preach out of the book of 1 Thessalonians today, as the screen says. Uh, but first, let us pray and let me get out of the way. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for today. We thank you for this beautiful sunrise. Uh, we thank you for the cooler weather. Um, we just thank you for the, uh, the saints that are gathered here this morning. Um, I thank you for this opportunity to come and, and uh, preach and teach your word and proclaim the gospel. And uh, I just thank you for uh, each person here. I thank you for um, this church, uh, that they are a light on the hill. And I just pray, Lord, right now that you would get me out of the way, uh, that you would speak through me, uh, that I would proclaim your, your, you, uh, that I proclaim your son, Jesus Christ, and I would proclaim the gospel. Um, we thank you for all our many blessings, and we thank you for today. In your name we pray. Amen. So to set the stage for you today, um, the Apostle Paul's writing to the Thessalonian church, and Paul wrote this letter, some of you may be familiar with Thessalonians, some of you may not, uh, from the city of Corinth in about AD 51, just a few months after having preached in Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. So this would be a church plant. This is uh, like, obviously, this was a church plant at one time. Uh, our church at, at Hillsview was a church plant. And so uh, Paul wrote this to the community of believers who had been Christians for only a short a period of time, probably no more uh, than a few, few months. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, Luke writes about the establishment of the Thessalonian church. So Thessalonica itself, to give you some background, it was a, it was a seaport and it was a major trade hub in Macedonia, uh, consisting of about 200,000 people. It was one of the wealthiest and one of the most flourishing trade centers in the Roman Empire. It was also home to many pagan religions and cultural influences. So does that, doesn't that sound like kind of where America is today? Uh, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians to encourage the young church in their faith in the midst of persecution. He also provides correction about the timing of Christ's return. He praises them for their faithfulness in God. You could say that this letter is Paul's practical advice for Christian living. So if you want to turn with me, if you haven't already, to 1 Thessalonians, 
I'm going to preach and teach from uh, the book today. It will be in chapter 5, and this is, the en- this is the end of the letter. After Paul has already praised the young church for their faithfulness to the Lord, he gives thanksgiving for them repeatedly, and he summarizes his ministry in Thessalonica. He longs to see them again, and they, uh, Paul as well, and he was encouraged by the report that Timothy had just brought back to him uh, about the church, about their faith, and about um, their, their standing strong in the face of persecution. So in chapter 5, verse 12, uh, that's kind of where we'll start, when Paul offers his final instructions to the Thessalonian church. He says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And we come to our, and then we come to the, to verse sixteen, and it says, "Rejoice always. Pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus." Amen. So let's stop there. My focus today will be on these three verses of Scripture: rejoice always, to pray continually. And give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The expositor's Bible commentary calls these commands by Paul the standing orders of the Christian church. Or to put it another way, the standing orders of the gospel. And I think that's the title of, uh, that was the title in the bulletin today. So these precepts of the Christian faith are so important and so vital, yet we as Christians live our lives today not quite meeting the standards set by Paul and by Christ, which reflects what God's will is for us as Christ followers. We forget it. We sometimes put it to the side. We know we should rejoice always, you know, pray continually, uh, give thanks in everything, in all circumstances. But the world doesn't see us always rejoicing. The world doesn't see us you know, praying continually or even regularly. The world does not see us giving thanks to God in all circumstances. The world sees us sometimes just like them, instead of more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's dig deeper into these, uh, these three passages. In verse 16, the first standing order of the gospel is stated. Paul simply instructs the church to re- rejoice always. It's actually, when I was doing my, my prep for, for the sermon today, um, I saw that it's actually the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament. Simply it says, if I say it right, it's pantote serete, always rejoice. This command should be easy, easy for us to follow, correct? I recall when I was younger in Sunday school in church, uh, we, we went to a small church in Laramie, and one of my favorite Sunday school songs that we sang about every week was the, this is the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I'm not a good singer, so uh, I'll just say it. So we as Christ followers are to rejoice always, and that song has always stuck with me since I was a little kid. We would sing that every Sunday at our church. And sometimes, you know, we don't feel like rejoicing at all. Uh, This instruction by Paul, like the next two verses, often go against our our natural inclinations. Uh, We must make a conscious decision to do what God says and to what Christ commands. Our Savior Jesus Christ wants us to be joyful. Joy is a common theme throughout his earthly ministry. Jesus wants to rejoice in our salvation. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, Jesus is teaching the disciples with a parable about the vine and the branches. After describing how he, Jesus, 
is the vine and God is the gardener, and they are the branches, Jesus tells his disciples, I have told you this so that, in my, so that my joy may be complete in you and that your joy may be complete. Christ is telling his disciples that he alone is the source for all joy in their lives. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you have everything you need to be joyful in this life. Your joy is complete. For the believer, joy is a constant state because of our relationship with Christ. We read then in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus sends out the 72 disciples to prepare a number of towns for his later visit. They later returned and rejoiced as they ministered in Jesus' name and with his authority. They were elated. They were excited. They were spiritually on fire, as you could say. And Jesus Christ shared in their joy. He rejoiced with them. In verse 21, it says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed to them and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So what was the first thing Jesus did when he heard the good news from the 72? Scripture says he was already full of joy through the Holy Spirit, so he immediately praised his Father in heaven. Christ's example of rejoicing should be our guiding principle for, the jo- for joy in our lives. The same joy that Christ experienced in this passage of scripture is the same joy available to us at this moment if we have accepted him and Jesus is in our hearts. So then my question to you today is, why is joy sometimes missing in your lives? Why do Christians seem to be just miserable from time to time or even on a regular basis? I believe it is we simply forget to be joyful. Jesus tells the disciples in Luke 10:20 that the rejoicing should be in their salvation. Words that describe the opposite of joy, if you look at it, are just devastating. I mean, they're, they're words that we don't want any, to be a part of, such as uh, depression, uh, misery, sadness, and woe. These are words that don't describe, that shouldn't describe believers in Jesus, but they do. Christians are also suspicious of joy. You know, life is serious business. You know, we ought to be serious. We've got we to take life head on. The challenges set before us on a daily basis can be overwhelming. The sin that has contaminated the world seems never-ending. But God commands us to be joyful, to rejoice. Rejoicing in the Lord is found throughout Scripture. That is no surprise. In Philippians 4.4, Paul, while shackled in chains in prison, beaten and bruised, encouraged the church, encourages the church in Philippi to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. He is showing the church that our inward attitudes do not have to reflect our outward circumstances. We need to have the right perspective in life. If you have accepted Christ, you should rejoice because Jesus Christ is now in your heart and can walk with him every moment of every day. In Romans chapter 12, verse 12, Paul proclaims, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. We will be afflicted in this life, sometimes experiencing deep and painful affliction. Many of you today have experienced some dark and deep valleys in your life. I know I have as well. But if you are in Jesus Christ, if you trust Jesus to draw closer and draw closer to him every day, in prayer, through reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit will lead you to a, a place of joy. Remain faithful in prayer and be patient, as Paul said, and remember that our hope is in Jesus, not of the world. We can rejoice in that. We rejoice because... The fruit of the Spirit is within us. 
In Galatians, Paul describes the acts of the flesh in chapters 5, uh, 19 through 21, but then proclaims nine character traits that are byproducts of Christ's control of our lives through the Holy Spirit. In 5.22 it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there, there is no law. Second to love, and I think closely connected to peace, is joy. Throughout Paul's letters in the church, uh, throughout his letters in the church, they are instructed to rejoice or have joy in their lives. From my count, Paul speaks to joy 21 times throughout his letters. A book I read this winter was The Fruit of the Spirit by Thomas Trask and Wade Goodall. They note regarding the joy found within believers, our unique joy begins with the fact that Christ lives within us and we belong to him and we are eternally alive with him, this joy that Christians have, the world can never understand. The Bible commentator William Barley noted, concerning the special joy that Christians sense, it is not the joy that comes from earthly things, it is the joy whose foundation is God. So when we read in 1 Thessalonians that we are to rejoice always, we absolutely should. Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, is within us, and our eternal salvation is, is assured. And rejoicing always is one of the standing orders of the Christian church. It is God's will that we rejoice because we are in Christ Jesus, and that is why the Apostle Paul issues the command in his letter. Paul then issues the second standing order of the gospel to the Thessalonian church for the church and for the church today. In the next verse, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he writes, Pray continually. Paul is challenging the church not only to pray, but to pray continuously, to pray without ceasing, to pray all the time. To pray to the Lord, should be, uh, we should be in frequent and converse, constant conversation with him. The Apostle Paul is instructing the church to have a prayerful attitude at all times. Similar to rejoicing always, praying continuously goes our, against our nat- natural inclination. Christians may not always find time to pray regularly. We sometimes may wait to find t- quiet time to be with God, but then the day is soon over. It's possible to push prayer to the sidelines of our lives, possibly with a brief prayer in the morning when we awake, maybe blessing our meals, and maybe before we fall asleep. But this isn't God's will for your life. God deeply desires a personal relationship with each one of you, and that only comes through salvation found only in Jesus Christ and regular frequent prayer, continuous prayer, along with daily reading of God's word. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, instructed us on how to pray, with what is often called, obviously, the Lord's Prayer. The Gospel of Matthew, Jesus teaches about prayer. He gave his model to his disciples to keep in mind as they prayed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one. The aspects of the Lord's Prayer include a recognition of God as Father and Lord, a desire for his perfect will to be done, for physical provision, for forgiveness, and asking God for spiritual protection. If you don't have a regular prayer life with God, I would encourage you to start praying the Lord's Prayer every day to start throughout your day, and I believe you'll draw closer to him. Returning to verse 517 today, Paul's command is to pray without ceasing does not mean repeatedly without a break but to be in regular conversation with our Lord. Jesus offered a warning about 
uh, when you pray, however, in Matthew 6, verse 7, he says, when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. God knows what's on your heart. Just open your heart to him, be honest, and cry out to him. Looking at the 1 Thessalonians, the letter itself, Paul notes that in 1-2, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. I can't imagine how deeply affirming that would be. If you're uh, getting this letter back then, uh, you're at the church in Thessalonica, and imagine hearing that, because Paul instructs uh, the church for this letter to be read, and imagine reading that for the first time, You know how encouraging that would be. Later in the letter, in verse 310, Paul writes, Night and day we pray earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. This builds upon the beginning of the letter in in 1-2. Paul reminds the church again that he's praying for them night and day. In this instance, it was that Timothy and Paul would see them again. You know, Paul wanted to return to Thessalonica, but we don't believe uh, we have record he was able to do so. But he was offering up continuous prayers for them, just as we should continuously pray for others. At the end of the letter, he makes a simple but bold request. He says, in 525, he says, Brothers and sisters, pray for us. We as a church cannot pray for Paul and the other men and women of the early church, but we can pray for our pastors. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we should recognize the importance of praying for our pastors regularly and our church leaders, such as the elders and the ministry staff here on, on a regular basis. They, like Paul, need your prayers every day. So we should pray regularly for them, just as Paul asked for prayer. Pastor Timothy Keller notes in his book on prayer that prayer should pervade your whole lives. We should pray without ceasing, seeking the glory of God consciously in everything we do. The prayers and praise of our lips is now the most pleasing sacrifice we can offer to God. Keller then cites Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. He says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess his name. The Apostle Paul teaches in Colossians 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Because as we see in James, chapter 4, verse 2, come near to God and he will come near to you. Don't you desire that, church? I know I desire that. I want to draw closer to God every day and know him more. As we've seen, God wants you to rejoice always. He wants a relationship with you through continuous prayer with him, like an ongoing conversation throughout your day. In preparing for my sermon, I was reading and preparing and studying, and I came across a short article by Will Graham. Some of you may know him. That's Billy Graham's grandson. Uh, he said he, he he wrote this article and he, he wrote to his or he came to his grandfather while he was alive and he 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 was seeking advice on being an evangelist himself. As Will recalls, he was sitting there with with his grandfather and Billy Graham replied to him. He asked him basically, "Do you have any regrets in your life, Grandpa?" And Billy Graham replied to him. He said, "Pray, pray, pray." Will. Uh, Will uh, recounts uh, uh, Billy Graham saying to him, sitting in front of the fireplace in the log home that he and his uh, grandmother built, he and his he and my grandmother built from the ground up in the 1950s. And then he added, "Study, study, study." After a short pause, he whispered, "Looking back, 
I wish I had done so much more of both. He went on to say, I wish I knew the Bible as well as your grandmother, Ruth. She knows it better than anyone I have ever met. And we could have done so much more if we had taken fewer speaking engagements and spent more time on our knees in earnest prayer. So Billy Graham knew. This was late in his life. The Reverend Billy Graham held, to my count, he held 417 crusades in 185 countries and territories on six continents throughout his life. He was among the most influential Christian leaders of the 20th century. He knew that he didn't spend nearly enough time in prayer with our Lord. I'm encouraged that through his grandson, he was able to share that with the world through the one thing he wished he did more of, his li- more of in his long life in service for the Lord, and that is prayer. So church, don't let that be a regret of yours. Don't come to a moment in life, possibly old age, and regret not spending more time in earnest prayer to God and more time studying scripture. The Bible is where uh, studying reveals his redemptive plan for creation and his plans for you through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for your sins, so you may be saved and have everlasting life. That brings us to our last verse we'll look at today. In 1 Thessalonians, it's in chapter 5, verse 18. Paul then commands the church to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the third standing order of the gospel. In every circumstance that comes your way, not just the peaks of life, but the valleys as well, Paul is instructing the young church and the church today to be thankful in everything, not for everything. For example, evil obviously doesn't come from God, so we should not give thank, be thankful for evil. But when evil strikes in our lives, we can be thankful that our salvation is in Christ, for God's presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit, and for the good that he will accomplish through our distress. An Old Testament of this, obviously, is Job. He lost his money, his children, his health, but he blessed the name of God in spite of his personal tragedies, not because of them. He was giving thanks to God in all circumstances. Nothing speaks more powerfully of a walk with God than continuous thankfulness. Paul wanted the church in Thessalonica and all believers to be thankful for God's presence in our lives. Most importantly, we need to be thankful for what Jesus Christ did on that cross for you and me. We are, there are countless things we can be thankful for our lives in which we can rejoice in. For example, in Psalm 100, the psalmist declares that God's steadfast love endures forever. In verse 1 it says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him in joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. He is who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So this is a wonderful psalm, I think, to study and to memorize. A psalm to have handy when you don't feel like being thankful or think there's nothing to be thankful for today. What did Paul say? We should be thankful in all circumstances because God is good and his love endures forever. In his book, Classic Christianity by Bob George, he asks the reader, why do we give thanks in all circumstances, even the really bad ones? It's because giving thanks is a concrete expression of our faith in God. As we see in Job, nothing speaks more powerfully of a walk with God than continuous thankfulness. 
Our lives are in God's hands, and we are trusting God to fulfill his promise found in Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who, who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Bob George, the author, adds, The result of trusting God with our lives and expressing that faith through giving thanks is a freedom and a peace that is supernatural. He then points to Philippians 4, 6 through 7, and he says, uh, the Bible says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We should rejoice that the peace of God is indeed guarding our hearts and minds as we are in Christ. The last part of 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It is God's will that we must always rejoice, we must always pray without ceasing, we must give thanks in all circumstances. If we do that, church, we will be comforted by the peace of God in our hearts and in our minds as we are in Christ Jesus. In the book Experiencing God, the authors note, as you follow Jesus one day at a time, he will keep you at the center of God's will. And that's, kind of, that's my hope and prayer for you today. Uh, some of you may need to rejoice more in life, uh, forgetting that, you've been accepted, that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and he, that he is all you need. Some of you may need to ask God to help you seek a deeper relationship with him in prayer, to go to God in prayer regu- regularly. The Bible gives us five postures to pray. Sitting, standing, kneeling, with our face on the ground, and with our hands lifted high. God wants to hear from you, and Paul reminds us that we should be in prayer continuously. And some of you may need to work on gratitude and thankfulness in your, in your lives. We have much to be thankful for, starting with the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. We can rejoice for everything that we have been blessed with and give God all the glory. Because of that, as Paul stated, uh, that is God's will for our lives. Amen. So as we close today, do you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you want to know him better? God has given us the truth today found only in the Bible. I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus or have questions about him and desire a fundamental change in your life, I ask you to give one of the elders here today, or to talk to one of the elders today, uh, or one of the church staff, another believer, or myself after the service, or talk to Pastor Mark when he's back uh, this coming week. Jesus Christ declares a personal relationship with each one of us. We are all born sinners, and there is only one way to eternal life, and that is accepting Jesus Christ in your heart. As Jesus Christ declared in John 14, 6, I am the way. Christ in you is your way. Christ is your map. Christ is all you need. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you again for today. Uh, we thank you for the goodness of your word, uh, that it's perfect in every way. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. Um, we just, I pray over this church, uh, the church body, this church family, uh, that every day we would come to know you better uh, through rejoicing, through prayer, through thankfulness. And um, Lord, I just thank you for each, each and every person here today. May we draw closer to you. 
and be comforted knowing that our salvation is secured. And I pray for those, Lord, that may not know you today, that they would make a decision, that, would, that the biggest decision in their lives, that they would come in and know you as Lord. Heavenly Father, uh, be with us as we leave here today. Uh, help us have a great day out, outside with the, the sunshine. Help us rejoice in that and uh, bring us here safely next week. In your, in your name we pray today. Amen.